Welcome to Healthcare Highwire, where we balance business with healthcare. Sandy has served as Director of Clinical Operations, Clinical Compliance Specialist, and Director of Nursing Services. She joined LCS in 2013, where she is the Director of Clinical Services for our life plan communities. Today's host, Sandy Toole. Jennifer is the ANCC Accredited Provider Program Director and Mock Surveyor in the Health Services Division at LCS. She oversees the Life Care Services Accredited Provider Unit, which plans, develops, and executes ANCC Accredited Nursing Continuing Professional Development Education. Today's speaker, Jennifer Williams-Land. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy Toole. And today, we are going to discuss the new Phase 3 Requirements of Participation. I'm joined today by my colleague, Jennifer Williams-Lamb. And just as a reminder, Phase 3 went into effect in 2019 with no interpretive guidelines. But then, on June 29th of this year, CMS released that surveyor guidance, which, if you remember, will begin on October 24th, 2022, and that's just a few a days, couple of weeks away. Well, our goal is to help you understand each of those changes and how you can try to be better prepared. Each podcast, we are showcasing one of those changes that are taking place, and today we are going to be talking about freedom from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. Hey there, Jennifer. Thank you for being here. Hey, Sandy. It's always good to be here with you and for us to be able to help um, those who might have questions about the Phase 3 ROP changes. Um, Together, we're going to work through each area and have a better understanding and be well prepared for those October 24th, 2022 guidances. That's great. Well, how about you recap for the listeners just what they can expect from this whole series of podcasts? Absolutely. Um, Each podcast covers one of the 14 areas with phase three changes. Uh, We're going to utilize information that's provided to us from CMS, ACA and Leading Age, and as always, we reference the State Operations Manual Appendix PP to provide you with the same information that your state surveyors use when they come in to do the state survey. So, as always, Sandy and I advise that you download the SOM and follow along so that you get the most complete information. That is great advice, as always. Well, as we said, today we're going to discuss freedom from abuse, neglect, and exploitation. And this includes a lot of tags. You've got F600, which is abuse and neglect, um, F604, which is physical restraints, 607, which is just your abuse policies, and F609, reporting alleged violations. Um, We're also going to be talking about an updated psychosocial outcome severity guide. So this sounds like an awful lot to cover. So let's get to it. Jen, Um, can you just define those tags with the changes as well as that newly updated psychosocial severity grid? Absolutely. I'm going to take a nice sip of water so I don't dry out in the middle of this because it's a lot. That sounds like Um, a good idea. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to start with those tags first and then move on over to the guide. F-600 Abuse and Neglect states that the resident has the right to be free from abuse, neglect, and misappropriation of resident property and exploitation. 
F604, physical restraint states that the resident has the right to be treated with respect and dignity and to be free of physical and chemical restraints imposed for the purpose of convenience or punishment. F607, the abuse policies, states that the facility must develop and implement written policies and procedures that prohibit and prevent abuse, neglect, exploitation, and misappropriation. They must establish policies and procedures to investigate any such allegations and include required staff training. The facility must also coordinate with QAPI, report crimes timely, post a conspicuous notice of employee rights, and prohibit and prevent retaliation. F609, reporting alleged violations, states the facility must develop and implement written policies and procedures that ensure reporting of crimes occurs. Each covered individual shall report to the state agency and one or more law enforcement entities of any reasonable suspicion of crime against any individual who is a resident or receiving care from a facility. Reports should be made no longer than two hours after forming the suspicion if the event caused serious bodily harm and no longer than 24 hours if it did not cause serious bodily harm. Those are all the definitions for each tag. Now moving to the Psychosocial Outcome Severity Guide, CMS added three new definitions. Fear, which is an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. Psychosocial, which refers to the combined influence of psychological factors and the surrounding social environment on their physical, emotional, and or mental wellness. And then finally, the reasonable person concept, which refers to a tool to assist the survey team's assessment of the severity level of a negative or potentially negative psychosocial outcome that a deficiency may have had on a reasonable person in that resident's position. Well, Chen, as you know, I laugh every time I hear that reasonable person concept because, you know, sometimes we don't feel like our surveyors are there. (laughs) (laughs) So it's really good to know that they have a tool to assist them to be reasonable. Yes. Uh, Well, now we have an updated definition of each of those affected tags and um, the new definitions added to that psychosocial outcome severity guide. What is the actual new guidance for each of these areas? Okay, um, well, we'll start with F600. CMS determined that not all altercations between residents results in abuse. So if you remember in the past, you know, Jane and Sally could have a spat over something and every time the state was called in about it. Well, now infrequent arguments or disagreements among residents are not a cause for a call to the state or for an investigation. Um, It would only be if there's really true anguish that's that's occurred from it. So a spat over, you know, that that last brownie or something is not going to cut it. Um, Regarding sexual abuse, CMS removed the sentence, residents without the capacity to consent to sexual activity may not engage in sexual activity. And the intent was to remove the idea that a person who did not have a capacity for consent could not have any form of physical intimacy. And then lastly, 
CMS addressed past noncompliance and stated that the surveyors must investigate to determine if the facility took all appropriate actions to correct that noncompliance and determine when they were returned to substantial compliance. CMS added language in regard to uh, neglect, stating that additional evidence should be attained showing the facility knew or should have known that the resident needs uh, that residents had needs but failed to act to prevent harm. F604 physical restraints clarified bed rails. So basically what they say there is that bed rails are considered a physical restraint when it keeps a resident from voluntarily leaving their bed in a safe manner due to physical or cognitive ability or if they're incapable of lowering that rail independently. F-607 abuse policies added the posting of employee rights and the prohibition and prevention of retaliation for reporting abuses. The facility must post in a conspicuous place the employee rights to notify the state survey agency if the employee believes that the facility retaliates for reports of abuse and neglect. Um, coordination with the QAPI program and the QAA committee was added to the regulation to indicate how the facility would communicate allegations of abuse and neglect. F609, reporting alleged violations, has an element for developing policies and procedures for reporting crimes and making proper notifications in a timely manner. The timeframes for reporting include immediately, but not later than two hours, if the alleged violation involves abuse and resulted in serious bodily injury, and then no later than 24 hours if there was no serious bodily injury. Results of all investigations must be complete within five working days of the incident. The guidance was further updated to say, regardless of having the policy and procedures, failure to report is indi indicative of a failure to implement those policies and procedures. So it's not enough to have them, you have to show that you've also implemented them. CMS updated guidance to state the facility must submit accurate and timely reports. If it is noted that the covered facility has not reported a suspected crime in a timely manner, the surveyors have additional guidance to consult immediately with their supervisor and the state agency and report the criminal incident to law enforcement. CMS added further guidance in relation to altercations. All staff to resident altercations must be reported to the administrator and other, other officials, including the state survey agency and adult protective services. For those, uh, again, we're going to talk about uh, RT residents. For those resident to resident altercations, CMS created three separate categories to, to help them out. There are mental verbal, sexual contact, and physical altercation. So physical altercations would include willful action resulting in physical injury, mental anguish, or pain. Um, although an altercation may not mean reporting is necessary, it is still necessary to complete that assessment, care plan, provide care and services to prevent harm, and develop policies and procedures to prevent abuse of residents. CMS addressed injuries of unknown origin by adding a few new criteria. So if an injury is classified as an injury of unknown origin, the following must be met. So the source of the injury was not observed. Um, it cannot be explained by the resident. It's suspicious. So it's the extent of the injury. Where is it at? 
how many injuries do they have? And are these injuries occurring over time? Are they happening more often than, than not? Neglect also is reportable. And some of the new guidance on this includes incidences that may cause physical harm, pain, mental anguish, or emotional distress. Some examples of that include failure to meet payroll or pay supplier bills that results in the residents not having staff or goods there so that uh, they can have the care that they need. Staff repeatedly ignoring resident requests, failure to oversee management of pain, failure to implement or monitor interventions to prevent skin breakdown, and the formation of pressure ulcers. See, I need my water. Misappropriation examples would be theft of property such as jewelry, unauthorized use of credit cards, and missing prescription medications. And then lastly, for the Psychosocial Outcome Severity Guide, CMS updated the guide to assist with the reasonable person aspect. So some of the guidance includes looking at current behaviors and comparing them with past behaviors. Is it the same? Are there marked differences? So if a person has always shouted out help, it wouldn't be considered a new behavior now if they're doing it now. But if before they didn't have those behaviors and they have them now, that will be a cause for concern and surveyors will then dive deeper into that. As far as the reasonable person aspect is concerned, it should be utilized when there is no apparent or documented change to the resident's behavior. A resident is not able to express their feelings, respond, or when a direct evaluation is not able to occur. And also when a resident's reaction doesn't match what occurred. So if a resident has been slapped by a staff member and there's no reaction, that's not how a reasonable person would react. So that's why they are adding the reasonable person aspect. I'm throwing it back to you, Sandy, so I can take a drink. Oh, Jen, that was for sure a lot of information there. Um, I love all the examples given under the area of neglect. I, I thought that was really unique to point out the failure to meet payroll or pay yeah. supplier bills. That's new. Yeah, um, that surprised me, actually. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I don't know. I found it pretty interesting that now the state operations manual gives you several examples like that when you read through it. Did you find that as well? I did, and I'm glad that they added that because it's not enough to say this is what you're out of compliance with without some examples, because I think sometimes they don't, that people don't understand that that could be a potential problem. And I got to tell you, payroll was not on my radar, so that that taught me something too. Yeah, very interesting. <laughs> well, also, you know, you know me, every time I get the chance, I like to remind everyone of that two-hour time frame for reporting an allegation that involves abuse. You know, Jen, this has been cited so many times over and over, and I think it's because we tend to believe that that means confirmed abuse. And by them putting that word allegation Yes. In the regulation, you know, that's just a, a definition of allegation is a, a claim or an assertion that someone has done something wrong, not a confirmation of the wrongdoing. So we have to make sure everybody is aware of that two-hour time frame every time someone reports that allegation of abuse. Whew, okay, off I my agree. soapbox. <laughs> 
What are some of these key elements? Um, the key elements of noncompliance for the abuse and neglect tags typically have some of the same items. So um, it includes failure to develop those policies and procedures on abuse and neglect, failure to identify situations of abuse and neglect, failure to report timely, and thank you for the soapbox because that tied in, <laughs> um, and the failure to report findings within five days. So in relation to physical restraints, a failure to ensure that a resident is not restrained is the key element of noncompliance. So if a, res you know, if a resident has a, ne a need for a restraint for a medical condition, you need to state that condition and documentation and be extremely thorough with it always use least restrictive um, restraints first and make sure anything related to abuse and neglect is being shared with your QAA and QAPI. A big part of understanding the tags and avoiding deficiencies is knowing how the surveyors are going to interpret noncompliance and a vital part of that is knowing that they look at these key elements of noncompliance to guide them. Sandy, would you be able to tell the listeners how we're going to assist them with the compliance? Well, we are in the process of creating some new guidance forms with an action item checklist for each of the new areas. And, you know, we've talked through this, some of those action items for abuse, neglect, and um, exploitation really involves examining your current policies to make sure that the steps uh, are there to protect residents from abuse to include whether or not a resident has the capacity to consent to sexual activity. Ensuring your current use of bed rails, don't keep those individuals from voluntarily getting out of bed in a safe manner because they're unable to lower the bed rail independently. And of course, evaluate your current abuse policies to make sure they address screening procedures prior to employment. On that note, Make sure employee records show all the background checks uh, required federally and also by your own state, the OIG checks and references, making sure that they are checked prior to that first day of work. Yes, yes. I, I have seen in the past where you'll see the background check a month after they started and we, we need to know if there's any adverse uh, issues prior. So thank you for, for saying that. As we stated earlier, we are here to provide the most up-to-date information and to provide tools to assist you. So the guidance forms with the action item checklist will get you ready uh, prior to the October 24th, 2022, 2022. what year is it? 2022, <laughs> deadline and beyond. It's been, it's been so long. I know. <laughs> I'm ready for 2023. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so much information to cover. I, I think this was a great start to just understanding the abuse, neglect, and exploitation changes. And, you know, as Jen mentioned earlier, as we learn more and as there are more CMS updates with the regulations, we will be providing that guidance through podcasts like this or through our webinars or even just email updates. So I want to thank you all for joining us today for this continuing series of podcasts, Phase 3 Rules of Participation. And I hope you're finding these discussions to be beneficial and will join us as we continue our discussion of the 14 phase three changes in the upcoming weeks. Thank you so much, Jennifer. And I really look forward to our next discussion. Thanks, Sandy. I look forward to the next podcast with you too. 
Thank you so much. This is Sandy Toole and Jennifer Williams-Lamb signing off. I hope you join us again next time on Healthcare Highwire.